I'm reading. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is a judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Amen. Good morning, everyone. And uh, we thank God that we've all gathered here again to celebrate our God and also to celebrate our senior pastor, whose birthday it is today. In fact, I know it's a great day. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, shall we pray? Father, we thank you for today. Today is your day and your word is your word. May your word be spoken as you have purpose long before now. May you touch my lips and touch the hearts of my hearers as well. That at the end of it all, the glory will be yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in Christ, I want to express my profound gratitude to Reverend Dr. Fred Digby for and his leadership for inviting me to preach on this important day that is his birthday, and uh, I really appreciate it, Reverend Dr. Um, David and the Dickens. The theme I was asked to preach on is, For God so loved the world. So what I'm going to try to do is to glean through the theme and bring out that which I believe, prayerfully, is very important for all of us regardless of our standing and our status in the Lord. Amen. It's been read already, so I want to say that my assignment this morning is what I've explained to you, that I'll try to look at the theme and I'll glean what I believe and I'm convinced that it is what God wants for me, for you, and for every Christian, regardless of our status and the age that we have acquired in him. And for me this morning, there are two key words in the theme that will inform the remaining text. And those two key words are God. And the next one is love. God and love. And I believe that when these two are clearly understood, then we can appreciate the love of God for us. And why the scripture will say, for God so loved. And then we can understand why the love is qualified as so. Because it is deep and immense. Amen. In the first place, we must know about God. And when I sat with a committee of members from this church in the Dickens room, I suppose, I saw so many things written about God. And each time we attended the meeting, I looked at it. But there were two things that were missing in there. And I know there is so much that we can say about God. And I'm glad that has not been written. Because that was going to be part of my sermon today. Amen. 
God is a spirit that existed before the beginning of the beginning. And I'll take time to explain this so that we can understand when we talk about his love, the extent and the depth to which we must take the love. That the love must not be taken for granted. It must not be taken for granted at all. It must be given the utmost and the highest regard. A gift that we cannot find and fetch anywhere except from him who is the initiator of that love. God is spirit. And he's the beginning of the beginning. He was before the beginning. He was before the beginning. The Bible says in the beginning God created. It means before creation he was. And he knew all things. And he has and had absolute knowledge about everything. In fact, as we sit here today, he knows the minutest things about each one of us. Whatever is on your mind this morning, he knows it. Because his spirit is in you. And he's linked up with you. And he's communicating. The spirit is communicating. That's that great God that we want to know. He should therefore have been, if the Bible says, in the beginning he created, then my conclusion is that he should have been before the starting, the commencement of creation. If he was not there, there would have been no creation. The creation was his baby. It was no one else. It was his baby. He is also the Lord of all gods and the sovereign God over all gods. The Lord of all gods and the sovereign God over all gods. He is the God of all lords as well as the God of all kings. In fact, Paul in 1 Timothy 6.15 describes him as a king of kings and the Lord of lords. I want to add that he is the Lord of gods and the God of lords. So when you draw that matrix, this is how great this our father is. Hallelujah. And uh, the Bible says in Isaiah 40, and that is what I love so much, Isaiah 40, 23, which says that he it is who reduces kings to nothing. He it is who reduces kings to nothing and makes the judges of the earth meaningless. He it is who reduces kings to nothing and makes the judges of the earth meaningless. It means that he has sovereign power. So his sovereignty is sovereign over sovereignty. That's how great our God is. Such a great spirit and God of creation, the Bible says, loved us. Come to think about it again. Link the two. Such a great spirit. The Bible begins by saying that he loved us. So if such a great spirit loved you and I, should you for once take it for granted and think that you can just walk about and wallow in it and say that I am loved? My brother and my sister, that love that the Bible talks about is very precious. Our God is not mean and ordinary to be taken for granted in his majesty. We must think deeply about this love and the purpose of his love. Amen. Love is defined in the dictionary, English dictionary, Hunsby, as strong affection for another arising out of personal ties. That is right. But God's love is not ordinary affection. 
but has been motivated by three factors. What then does God's love entail? I'm saying that Hansby says that God, uh, love is affection. I'm saying God's love is beyond ordinary affection. It's beyond ordinary affection. It is deeper than that. And the roots no one can trace. Only he himself. His love is deep. And I, after studying the Bible and reading and reading and reading, I realized that God's love is motivated by three ingredients. And that is what I want to talk about this morning and link it up to the fact that if you take it for granted, then you are messing yourself up and not him. For if such a great spirit, a great God, a sovereign God over sovereignty, the king of all lords and the lord of all kings, and the God of all gods and the God of all kings, says he loves you, then you must handle it with utmost care. God's love, therefore, from my understanding and search of the scripture entails three elements or ingredients which must inform our love and appreciate God's love. Then we can love others in the right perspective. When many people come for counseling and they talk about love, you can read from their minds that the love they are talking about is some kind of affection for either a lady who has rosy cheeks and fluxing curls, uh, who has vital statistics that are so attractive, or who has a pointed nose with a shiny lips, or a gentleman whose shoe is made up of stiletto and talks gently with a very good haircut, and his eyes blink at a systematic rate that I'm sure that... Uh, no. So as you... As, 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 as you listen to them, you can see that they have no idea about what this love that senior pastor has asked me to talk about this morning is. Until you take them through. I'm saying that there are three things that informs my understanding of God's love. The first ingredient of God's love is concern. Concern. In human terms, I'll say fellow feeling. Concern. He was concerned about the punishment that awaits sinful man. Concern. He was aware, and he is aware of the punishment that awaits sinful man. He was concerned because he knew and knows about the intensity of the heat of hell's fire for all who do not believe in Son Jesus as a savior of mankind. That's his concern. That's where. His concern is, he knew about the heat of hell. He knows about the heat of hell. The intensity of the heat of hell. That is why when we say we love somebody, we should not love the person because of We must love the person with the love that God has for us, that your skin cannot stand the intensity of hell. And that must put fear in us to want to save somebody from getting into that heat. Beloved brethren, my wife is a nurse at the University Hospital. At one time when I, she had clothes, knocked off and she was going home, I was going to pick her, and here was this woman, I think a Jamaican or from, from the Caribbean, lying on her bed. And the lady was 
crying, nurse, nurse, save me. There's some fire under my feet, and the fire is getting hotter and hotter. Nurse, what equipment have you brought into this world that is causing this heat? I can't start to change my bed. Brethren, I was there. There was no fire in the world. I'm telling you the truth. There was no fire in the world. And the nurse who was knocking off was my own, my own wife, who is a very good friend to Joanna Ameg and everybody who is here who knows her. And above all, the man who led her into marriage, Reverend Dr. Fred Dibby. He was my best man, you know. So, as the woman kept on shouting, and she was screaming, disturbing all this, the fire is coming up and up and up. Nurse, carry me. I said, Esther, do you know what? This woman, the devil is already ready for her. The, ready is the, the, the devil is ready for her. She knows. No, no, I don't. The, the theology of whether she will go to Abraham, when we die, we go to Abraham's uh, bosom, or we will all be resurrected one day for the ship to be born. Whatever it is, I can tell that the woman is going through something. She has not lived her life for Christ. And the owner of her life at that point in time was waiting to take over. That was my understanding. And so, this my loving wife turned to me and I thought she would say, well, honey, let's go. She said, you yourself. So I stood there and I said, oh, Father of heaven, the God of love, we have wronged you in several ways. We have lived our lives recklessly. We have not taken advantage of your love. Please have mercy upon this woman. For why is there is love in her and why is there life in her? And she still remembers your name. Oh, let your love manifest by stretching forth your hand and grant her pardon this evening. And let her soul rest in peace before you. That is all I could see because I didn't know whatever prayer I could see again. Beloved brethren, to the glory of God, before I could hold my wife, who then hadn't grown that big, but I was slim, so my arms could go around her every day. The woman, she, she stopped shouting, and she, I think she remembered her primary school days, some song that they were taught, and started singing. It had stopped. God had intervened. But she has to go beyond that. So I went back and told her, God is showing her love. She's concerned about you. She knows that hell, you can't bear the heat in hell. So he's giving you a chance. Now, you yourself must accept his son. You don't go to him directly. You go to him through his son. And I spoke to him. I'm just using this for you to understand that it is a concern of God. That is one of the motivating factors of the love that we talk about. That made God bring his son to die for us. Hell has become a cliche in our time for many people. But I'm not, I am not sure they have set the scriptures to know for themselves where that hell is and what is there in that hell. I fear hell, oh. I fear hell. My sister-in-law was a baker. And my mother too was a baker. And during that time, we didn't have gas ovens. So when you walk by the earth oven, the heat that comes out, who are you to stand it? God knew about this. And his concern is that you escape it. 
His concern is that you escape it, so he made a way out for you. I would just like to mention three situations that describe hell. Hell is eternal fire. Eternal fire. Matthew 25, 41, eternal fire. If you think that it is temporary fire, it is eternal. Hell is eternal destruction. Second Thessalonians 1 eternal destruction. Where those who are rebelled will be destroyed. And I'm imagining the form that the destruction will take. I don't want to imagine it. It will be too much for me. But one thing I can do is to appropriate the love of God for me and appreciate his concern. Third, hell is lake of fire. Revelations 19.20. For want of time, let me just explain it quickly and I go on. It's lake of fire. If you are gone, it's water. It is a lake. It has no outlets. So it is standing there. Otari. The Kwabim say Otari. Etao. Eni bebiya erkobium. Etao. Ojano ta Otari. Bakbo. And imagine if it had, uh, how do you call it, outlets, that you say that the intensity will reduce by some of the heat flowing out of the outlets. No heat is flowing anywhere. It's all standing and getting more heat. Hey. So when the Bible comes out to say God loves you, so love, and I'm saying that there are three ingredients, my brother and my sister, forget about who you are and begin to appropriate this. For we must serve our God with godly conscience and right minds in this world in which we are. For God is not joking. The fire burns with brimstone. And according to Nelson's, illustration, uh, uh, Nelson's new illustrated Bible dictionary, Brimstone is used to describe God's wrath. If God is venting out his wrath on man, where will man stand? Imagine the small ant or tema, whatever, that when you were a child just stung you in the buttocks. Look at the anger with which you raised your heel and smashed it. And you and I, we are like those ants. If God raises his leg like this, what a moment. Who are we? But the Bible says he, he, he was concerned that we are frail, we are vulnerable, we can't stand any of these attributes of his. And that formed. So that's why he was concerned for humankind. He could not bear the thought of humans in the heat of the lake of fire. That induced his concern for it to be one of the ingredients. When I was in school, I attended classes one to three in English church mission. That is Anglican church, Achibota village. Now it's not a village. Then I left to another village again, Aluboshi. The name sounds funny to continue. And one day, one of our colleagues was passing behind Master Kojo's office. Master Kojo was a head, head mistress, of, a head master of the primary school. And he heard that a boy called Nilanti, he will be punished for having done something. So he heard it and came and told us, we were sweeping the, by then, 8 o'clock, you are sweeping your plot. 
So we were trying to understand what is punish. He was telling the teachers that that boy is not punishable. So this boy from Alokoshi, Kodo Mensa came. You don't understand punishment. It's a patient. A patient. Ah, what is a patient? As for him, you see, he's an ever from that village. Is, uh, is that, so it's a stone, stone. God is going to use the stone to brush the nose of that boy till it begins to. So that is a patient. So after now, when we meet, we call ourselves a patient. He didn't know the word, but what he heard, she meant it's a patient. Hey, if that is a patient, then he can bear it too. The master is saying that they will use stone to, to rub his nose until the nose bleeds. Then you'll be surprised. Tears filled our eyes. We didn't understand the word, but the patient gave us that idea to it. Because at least we knew a Ekpe is to. Beloved brethren, the punishment that you and I will bear if we don't tend to Christ and serve him with godly conscience is in Kodumen's terms, a patient. Let us avoid it. The second ingredient I noticed or I gleaned is God's willingness without coercion to sacrifice. So I'm saying that love has three components. The first one is concern. I have identified sacrifice as the second one. To sacrifice his own son to make up for the atonement of the sins of men. The passion was so great and beyond human understanding. Abraham tried to sacrifice Isaac, but it was not for someone who had wronged God and was living a reckless life. It was a test of Abraham's faithfulness to God, his loyalty to God, and everything. In the case of Jesus, God was sacrificing him for people's wrongdoing when he had not done anything wrong. He, God, did this just that his son's blood would be poured for us. He sacrificed. It isn't Abraham's sacrifice that was a test for Abraham himself. But this one, he sacrificed his son for people who have wronged him and are still wronging him. Do you know how much pain we are inflicting on God even in our time when we have been saved? God, have mercy upon us. And when we are praying, we should stop demanding forgiveness. We should first ask for mercy. Lord, have mercy upon us so that your mercy will induce your pardon. You don't own forgiveness. When we, are, when we ask for mercy, there will be grace to repent. We go and sin and come and say, God, forgive me. You think it's your right. Your right goes through a process. Repentance through his mercy. And then his forgiveness is induced. Beloved brethren, so God did this so that the blood of his son will atone for our sins. And permit me to quote Peter K. Stevenson's in his book, God in Our Nature. And while Peter Stevenson was doing a reflection on the incarnational theology of John MacLeod Campbell, a book which I was compelled to read, which was not my pleasure, stated that atonement made sinners perfect through suffering. So when we say the blood of Jesus atoned for us, the meaning is that atonement made what sinners perfect through suffering. It's only through the suffering of Christ that we can receive God's love and pardon. 
And God sacrificed his son to be that. Think deep now. It doesn't stop there. Why so? Because according to this theologian, Baptist was able to confess human sins effectively. Hallelujah. He says the blood of Jesus was able to confess human sins effectively through that incarnational theology, theologian. And that was Christ. Through Christ Jesus. Who has been equipped to become the captain of salvation by a, prop, by a process which plumbed the depths of suffering and death. It plumbed. What does it mean? You know plumber, plumber, plumber. He uses, uh, how do you call it, pipes and things. They say that by the atonement, Jesus Christ, he plumbed into the death of what? The death of suffering. He went deep. He put all the pipes like a ball hole rig. We'll go 150 meters to fetch pure water to pump out. The blood of Jesus went very deep into God's heart and plumbed out the love of God, the care of God for mankind. Don't take God's love for granted. He says it plumbed. That's what Maglio said. And that's what Peter Stevenson was reflecting over. It plumbed. It went deep, 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 deep. Where no other blood could go. And because he's the only son, he could be the perfect plumber. And when he went down and down and down and found the message of God, that was the spirit of God flowing to mankind, then he could come and say that, out of you there will be what? Streams of living water. Because it was down, 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 that he was able to fight it. That was the purpose of the atonement. If God went to all this extent, by sacrificing his son. Why should you and I continue to take God for granted? That is my second ingredient of love. So we say God's love is care. God's love is consent. Thirdly, and I'll be over, the third ingredient of what God did to save mankind was the care he had for man. Care implies provision. John 14, 2 reads, In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. So he had planned a place for peaceful residence after salvageness from this world. So when I talk about the love of God, I'm talking about concern, sacrifice, and care. He provided where we didn't have anything. And if you love a friend, indeed, you'll be concerned about him. You'll not tear your friend into pieces. Or you'll be concerned about his image that will be tarnished. If you are concerned about a friend and indeed you love him, you'll not lead him into sin at any time. Because you know the consequences of it. And if you care that the provision, you'll make avenue and room for him to be able to repent and live in the gracious presence of God. Beloved brethren, so when the Bible talks about love, I can glean concern, sacrifice, and care of God. Putting all these three together means love for me, Samuel Otupimpo. But I have my biblical basis. So if you say you love somebody and they say that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, you must know to what extent God went. He showed his concern. He showed his sacrifice. And he showed his care. How he will provide for you out of this recklessness in this world that we live. Brethren, why then will you sit and reject the gospel of salvation? All these things were done so that man may live and live forever before God. 
All these were done so that man may never be condemned again. All these were done that man can be reconciled unto his creator and live happily, not under equations. Brethren, what do you do about that? Many of us have taken God for granted. And if today you will understand God's sacrifice, the death of the sacrifice. And when I say the death of the sacrifice, how Jesus Christ's blood became like a borehole rig and went deep, 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 150 meters. That's not written in the Bible, but as a project man who has also implemented a borehole project, I could see a rig. Sometimes when they go 150 meters, they don't get, they do something called fraction. They have to, they have to break rocks. Jesus did all those things so that his father's love may come for you and I. That his father's care for that. He, he will make sure that you don't go to hell. Brethren, that is all it is about. The love of God. God's concern. God's sacrifice. And his care, which is provision. Because you love somebody when you have it and you don't give it. And in this our time, brethren, there's no righteousness in the house of God. You ask people what is righteousness, they say it's holiness. But my search of the Bible tells me that righteousness is doing the right thing at the right time to glorify God. Why will a Christian enter the house of God and under invoice his salary and pay a lesser tithe? Is that right? You are in the right place, all right, but you are not doing the right thing. And many of us have under invoice our salaries. And so the tithe that should go into God's coffee is not there. Many of us come and our fingers are on the bigger note so that we don't mistakenly put it in the, how do you call it, in the offering bowl. So we are careful to cleave it with others. Not the new red, but the old red. Then that is what to be put in the offering. So, lack of righteousness is not leading us to godliness. In conclusion, beloved brethren, I want to admonish ourselves. That God's love is not the love that you think about. It has for me three ingredients. Concern that you cannot stand the heat of hell. Sacrifice that his son will plump the death of God's care, God's love, and bring out the spring of living water from the death of God's presence unto you. And finally, care, provision, where he has mansions awaiting those who have yielded their lives unto him. These mansions I've told you, you can't find them anywhere. I told my wife, she's called Elsa. When I die, my bungalow is number three. Bungalow number one in heaven is for Moses, for my understanding and how I take it. Number two is for Saul of Tarsus, Paul, my mentor. I'm number three. I'm number three. Bungalow number three. I want to live my life with a godly conscience. Regardless of what men think about me, I don't take God's grace and love. But the joyful news about it all is that God didn't end there. He crystallized this tree with something we call grace. So grace became the foundation, the foundation stone. I know the engineers here. When you are driving still there into the ground, how you make it become solid so that no vibration of whatever sort come, God granted grace. And grace holds these three things together in such a way that nothing can move them. So God's love for you is immovable because of the grace. May God grant us mercy and grace in Jesus' name. Amen.